We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Jessica Fishlock. Jess is a current player with the Seattle Reign in the NWSL. She's also the captain of the Welsh national team. Her experience in the game is phenomenal. She's played with Cardiff City. She's played with AZ Akmar in the Dutch League. She's played with Bristol Academy, Melbourne Victory in Australia, Glasgow City in Scotland, and Frankfurt in Germany. She's also started doing her coaching badges with the Welsh FA. She's got some experience as well in the Australian League with the Melbourne team too. Very successful over there with her player coach experience. So this is an unbelievable interview, both for players and for coaches. So she goes into the player development piece, talks about the role of adversity, the role of pushing outside your comfort zone. How do we perceive that as coaches? How do players experience that? How can players do more of it? How can we do more of it as coaches to expose players to it? Also the role of a coach, what do top players want from a coach? Uh, How can coaches get a little bit more from them? Also the role of pressure and the role of social media, all of which aren't really talked about but play a massive part in the life of a top, top player. So I think there's an awful lot in this for players. I think there's an awful lot in this for coaches and I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. So please, 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 I say it every week, Please give it a like, give it a shout out on social media. Always appreciate the support. At Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram, Coach Kernin on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Here's Jess. Enjoy. Jessica, thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. First question I have to ask you. Uh, people's Twitter profiles, yours could obviously say a, a lot of different things of what you've done and where you are, etc. But But you've chosen to start your Twitter profile with the cam after the storm is the first thing in your profile. What, what does that mean? For me, it just means that like, there is so much that goes on in, in life and there's so much that goes on with football and, and it's so important that whatever happens, whether it be very, very good or very, very bad, um, you have to just stay calm and relaxed throughout all that. And then you kind of see, you know, and I think for me that that is how I've adapted in my career, I guess, is that there are some things that you just you can't control. There are things that, um, you know, you just are completely out of your control. And if you let your emotions get the better of you, then it can be it can be a problem. I think so. For me, the most important thing, and you know, I learned it from my mother really, is that you know whatever happens, you just have to just take a step back and just look at the bigger picture and the perspective of what it is in that moment and that's kind of the way that I view everything There was a BBC show a couple of weeks ago, Woman in Red on the, the Welsh team Yeah. 
you, you recorded us saying the message I want to send to the girls who are now playing is that you can do whatever you want to do. You grew up at a time where there wasn't, in the UK, there wasn't the same level of opportunities to young girls for, for female soccer players. You said you learned the game yourself growing up. How did you do that? Honestly, by watching. I watched the Premier League at that, at that time um, and just watched soccer or football, sorry. Um, just 24-7 uh, with, my, with my brothers and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think people understand still to this day, uh, players especially, um, how important it is to watch football. And what you can learn from that is you can't you can teach yourself effectively if you're able to be able to learn that way, you know. Um, but for me, that's how I kind of learned the basic knowledge of what football is about. Wasn't able to put that into a game-like situation until I went to Holland and had a coach that was then able to help me process everything and channel it into a game situation, which um, which is great. Um, but yeah, when I was growing up, there was there was nothing around really, and I just I just learned the game by watching by watching. You know, I support Man United, and I was able to watch, you know, the likes of Stolzi. There was Cantona coming through then. The Class of 92 were coming through. You know, I got to watch some of the best players that ever graced the game, you know, and it. I just learned from that, to be honest with you. I, You know, I kind of had to. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? To be resourceful, you have to lack resources, so to speak. So people who have opportunities... Um, the kids today and kids growing up today, they may not, they may have more information available, but they're not going to have that drive or the things that, you know, I was to see, I didn't have coaching until I was 14, 15, 16 either. But mm-hmm. what it makes you do is that it makes you, you know, your imagination, your creativity, your, your almost, you then don't get tired of coaching as much as yeah. what you feel, probably what you see US players today at, at 15, 16, 17, they're almost done with it, aren't they? Yeah, and I think, too, there's a level of edu- education and educating yourself when you watch the game where you have to ask yourself questions and then you have to answer your own questions whilst watching it. Like, why is he doing that? What does that create? And you learn the game through understanding it in in different ways. Whereas I feel that nowadays, especially when the kids are growing up now, they're so young, but now it goes, they, they, they don't learn the game. They don't learn how to understand the game. They just learn what the coaches are telling them to do. And then when they go on the field, they can't problem solve. They can't problem solve because they don't watch the game. They just get told what to do by their coaches, and that's that. Coaches talk them through every single thing that they're doing. But where are they going to learn? Well, how are they going to understand the game? And the reality of it is, is that when you're a coach, as soon as the, the players cross that line, it's up to them now. Because you're not playing. You can coach as much as you want with the decisions that get made by the players on the field. But if you don't watch football to try and understand that, 
you're probably not going to make the right decisions more often than you make the wrong ones. Absolutely, yeah. There's a I was a big Jordan, Michael Jordan fan growing up for some reason. I, I don't know. I was I never played basketball, but as soon as I came across Michael Jordan, I was just hooked on him. Um, and I remember reading a book about him, and it was about how he said that the game was a refuge for him. And it always stuck with me that whenever things were tough in his life or he was going through stuff, he would almost just go out, play on his own, and almost it would relax him and it would help him overcome stuff. And I, I just feel that when I look at players today, they just they don't have that. You know, they don't. The game is interpreted or consumed differently than what it was by a previous generation. I don't know how would how do we get that back or how do we. You know, can we get that back? I. It's so interesting to me. I I was I'm speaking to you know a couple of girls that we're with and and um, you know I definitely feel like the last couple of years football has taken a huge shift in in how it's played and how it's coached and how it's managed and and what players kind of expect from from the coaches and other players rather than what they expect and demand from themselves. Um, and I don't know if it's something that can, if we can change it back. I feel like football has changed right now. It's, it's less accountability and less responsibility. Players are less for the team and more for themselves. And that's just because whenever they're growing up and they're going through the academy, it kind of is, you have to do this if you want to succeed. And it's more based on the individual and the team. And I think that that is something that will come full circle. But right now, I feel that that's the way it's going. Absolutely say that. It's almost that we're someone, I think it was Daniel Dicchio was on a podcast a few weeks ago and he said it was, we're now young players are almost looking or talking or acting the game in a clinical way and I thought it was yeah. spot on because yeah. the emotion has almost been been taken out of it and the way we're almost looking at coach education yeah. is the same way we're looking at player education is that it's we expect to fix it by a curriculum um, when in reality it's the I just spoke to I did a podcast earlier with Aaron Hughes remember him played for yeah. and he, he was talking about Bobby Robson and it was just like the things he did to like every day it was his why they all wanted to come in people like him Shear, and why they wanted to come in every day to train was because of his enthusiasm for like life everything yeah and I just feel that today it's he also like he's he's a very aware guy and he was saying about the pressure that pressure in football has changed a lot yeah um, so it's it's at every level hasn't it really it's even you know at youth levels they have to win yeah. In youth levels right now, it's not about developing, it's about winning. And that's why you can't really, you don't take the time to build the right ethos in the player's mentality. You just build a player to try and win. And I feel that as that comes up now, it's, it's difficult for them then to get into the highest level and be a great team player because all they've ever been is an individual to try and win something for somebody rather than to be a good teammate, to have the team be so successful. And I feel that it's very, it's such an interesting time right now with 
is kind of kind of what that looks like. Mm. You know, it, it really is. It's um, I think it's so interesting to me. I think another dynamic on top of that is of what they think success is. So yeah. I think because it's there is a lack of enjoyment because there's so much pressure on kids and even college players today with their expectations academically, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they interpret, I think social media has now led us to interpret success as this fun place where people take yeah. pictures. And yeah. as you well know, football is, is more heartache than those, those golden ones. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like too, that, um, I feel like right now there's so much coming from a st- statistical perspective too that people will come and throw, especially, I'm not just saying this because we're in America, but especially in America, they love stats. They absolutely will come up with a mind-boggling stat about an individual, but will never look at how relative it all is to actual how the game was played, what the game was about, even if this guy did something that was great, like was it actually effective for his team? You know, and and now you see people, even if they lose or they draw, but they score, that's the most important thing that they've scored, not that the team has lost. You know, you can lose and you can see someone tweeting, "Oh, tough loss," but. So happy to get on the score sheet. <laughs> no, you've just lost. You shouldn't be happy at all. Little, do you know what I mean? And I just think that we changed the dynamic because we will come out and say, you know, this wasn't a great game, but also this guy did four dribbles. Okay, great. Well, you've also still lost, and those four dribbles were obviously not effective. So let's just leave that for a second and have a look at how the game was played, what was relative, what wasn't relative, you know. But when you when you bring out stats that are so individual, for me it changes how players look at the game because then the stats become more important than the actual performance. Mm. And the Does that stats, make sense? Yeah, because the stats are geared towards individuals. So they're yes. looking at them. So it would be the central midfielder that, that sees the, the forward making the run but has the left back is this is the easy ball, so yes. they play that and they think, right, boom, that have kept me 100% completion. I'm, I'm close to playing like Xavi. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so I think it's everything, like I said, everything is just changing. And, you know, it's, you know, I completely understand why the players like the way that they are right now, you know, because everything that goes around them is is gearing it up for that, you know? You mentioned your experience in Holland just from reading about you and, and mm-hmm. listening to your interviews. It, it sounds as if that experience was... I, I had to write this one down. You said you ripped your game to shreds when you went to Holland. It was yeah. at a, piece, a blank piece of paper and had to start again. Talk about yeah. that experience. Oh, it was... It was terrifying at the time because, you know, at that point, I was playing for my national team, you know, I was playing in England and, you know, I was doing well and and playing well for what my age was at that point and the experience that I'd had and, and whatever. And then I go to Holland and everything that I'm doing is ineffective. It's wrong. It's not what... 
uh, the team plays like. Um, and in order for me to be effective and to be successful and for our team to be successful, I have to change everything, you know. And that's why I have so much respect for my then coach, which was Ed Engelkus, um, because he was able to look past the way that I was, I was playing at that time look at the attributes that I did have and see something completely different and gave me time to develop that skill set. Now you tell me if that would ever happen right now, that you give somebody, you see a player who has attributes, but you see them playing in a completely different way and you give them three years to learn that and to become that player who then switches and has that skill set. It would never happen now. There would be no patience for that and no time. Um, and that's what he did for me, you know, and he changed, he changed my life because he changed the way that I viewed football and the way that I played football. Um, and it was a very hard thing to do because, you know, it was, it was, I was in a country that didn't really speak English. So I was by myself and I had to rip up everything that I knew. Um, and it was a really daunting time. Um, but in saying that, it was the best time, I think, of my career to that point because I was able to do it. We were, we were successful as a team. We won the league at that point and we got to Champions League, which they'd never got to before. Um and I was successful individually off the back of us being successful as a team, which I feel that we still don't realize that now, that if your team is successful and you're in that team, you are going to also be successful from an individual perspective. So I feel that um, it was one of the, like, like a life-changing experience for me, both on and off the field. How did Ed... You know, that, that kind of balance between challenge you to make you better but supporting you to get you through you know because that's a tough time as a player and a person how did he do that on a daily basis how did he balance that well he first of all you know put me in really slowly so I went from training twice a week in England to training full-time over in Holland because it was a full-time setup and um you know, instead of just throwing me straight in, first of all, it was, right, we'll go three times a week. And then after a couple of months, it was, right, four times a week. And and then when the girls were training, he would do footage with me and he would, you know, explain what he wanted and how it would look like and, um, and things like that. And then, you know, if there was ever moments where I, you know, was really, maybe probably didn't behave in the right way, you know, because I was, what, I was 19, away from home. I lived, like, 15 minutes from Amsterdam. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, when I was struggling to, to adjust from life, you know, he he never came down so hot on me. It was more like, look, you know, if I get it and I understand, um, but, you know, in order for us to get you to where we got to get to, we need to find like a better balance. So he was, 
he was really understanding um, with the situation that I was in. And so, you know, he wasn't like cutthroat with me at that time. But equally, he made me aware of my responsibilities, not only to um, to the team, really, but um, yeah, the responsibilities to myself, to the team, um, and to to Holland, really, too. He was like, you know, you're the first player we ever brought in. We brought you in for a reason. You know, this is what we can do and this is what you can achieve, but we need to find the right way to do that from a from a whole life perspective. And that was really the first time that I really truly understood that in order to be successful on the field, your life has to mirror that. Yeah, that's that's a big moment then once you, you connect the two. And plus, as you develop a better, into a better player or a stronger player, you also develop into a, a stronger person, I would assume? 100%, yeah. And so that... You know, the first six months was a roller coaster, like truly a roller coaster. Um, but what he did was he was able to um, just just put it all together, pretty much, to be honest with you. And it took two, between two to three years, really, of him just chis- chiseling away at uh, what I can do, what works well, what doesn't work well, um, and my understanding of how to be a professional both on and off the field, uh, which I feel was um, was just huge in my development, my development as a as a player and a person. Again, it's really interesting because we almost, again, in the coaching community, especially what I've experienced in the US, we almost evaluate players. In it with a long-term lens, but we yeah. work with them on a short-term lens. So yeah. it's fine when we're looking at them and we're saying, "Oh, we we'll hope to sign that player because we could she could become this or this." But then we work with them and we, we don't spend the time with them individually um, or give them that patience, do we? No, because we we see their potential, but then we fast-track their potential in our minds and want it for now so there is no potential because what you see you also have to develop that but some coaches just don't want to or don't have the time or don't have the patience or quite frankly are not in a organization that gives them that and then it's like well that's not really fair on the player to be honest yeah and what usually happens then is a standoff between player coach where the, play, the coach or the player feels that you know, they would probably rather have any feedback rather than no feedback. So uh, yes. they both go their separate ways. And yeah. 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 Um, the, going away from home is something that just in talking to people on the podcast and you're talking about people who have experienced things in the game, coaching and playing, going away from home is a big, big thing. Yeah. Uh, and something that resonates with me because... Coming over, I, homesickness hit me very, very hard whenever I left Ireland and, and went to the sunny blue skies and easy life in North Carolina. But but it was, I, I felt I was in a really tough place. And it, hindsight, it wasn't. But my question to you is, how do you think from a youth development point of view in the US, where we're kind of going back to this, where you know, that adversity has made you a stronger person and, and we know that adversity mm-hmm. sharpens talent, makes them better, makes successful people. But if that... You know, do you think U.S. players should 
to go away in their development there? What's your thoughts on that? It's a, it's a tricky one for me because I understand how important the college system is here to, to American life, I guess. Uh, but I do believe that going away, getting out of your comfort zone, learning in an environment that challenges you um, and pushes you in every kind of way is is so vital and quite frankly you just don't you just don't get it in college here i'm not saying that college is easy by any means i'm not saying that at all but i mean it's the same culture it's the same outlook you know where you're going it's the same people you know you can get caught up in this this bubble here in america or this conveyor belt where you just get the same people doing the same things whereas Whenever you leave home or you go abroad or you, you get a different culture with different people that speak in a different way, that have a different mindset, have a different mentality, um, ask different questions, view you in a different way, um, you, you then have to adjust everything. And not only do you adjust everything, but you then see things so much so much more clearly and so differently. And you grow. You don't only, you don't only grow as a player, but probably more importantly in those times, you grow as a person, which for me allows you to grow even more as a player. I do believe that um, if, you can get a, if you can get abroad and play, I would, I would 100% say that that is something that everybody should try and do. Um, if if you can't, then you can't. But I do, I do believe that that if you can do it, that you should do it because the what what you get out of it, you it's you can't even explain it. It's it's just so raw and it's so important to your development in every single way. Again, we almost misinterpret when you again when you look at if you look at your profile and you think. You know, over a hundred caps for Wales. Um, amazing achievement that there. Thank you. But it must be difficult to be, you know, all these places that you've played, uh, US, Holland, Australia, to keep that commitment with Wales. Uh, obviously, there's a physical commitment part of it, jumping on planes and going back to camps and all that good stuff. But the actual emotional connection of staying connected to staff and players, how difficult is that? Yeah, it's hard. You know, one of the biggest uh, mental challenges is, is always um, still, still flying around doing everything, but more so... Um, playing for my for my national team I have such passion for it and I love my my country but but it is it's such a mental mental challenge to keep to keep doing it um especially with us you know we we haven't qualified for anything um it's extremely difficult for us to do that we're in a great situation right now but I mean I've been committed to my national team for for over a decade now um, and that is 
that is not an easy thing to do. Um, but, but it is an element to to my life or from, from what I've grown up with. And especially, like I said, um, being, a, being thrown into the profes- professional environment at such a young age, at such a high level at such a young age, is that um, you learn what it is to be committed to something to be loyal to something um and to keep your mind fresh so you can do it for a for a long period of time and you know that's something that with the national team i have always um always try to do and and thrive to do because i just am so passionate for wales and and that you know that drives me uh, again how do you manage the you know, is it once a week? Is there a text or a call to a coach or a player to, or you know, do you structure that yourself, or do you just off the cuff? No, look, I think there's so many, there's so many variables with it. Just especially when you're in a campaign. So like we're in a campaign right now for the World Cup, and sometimes when you're away on camp, it, oh, it's it's a nightmare. You know, it, it is. You eat, sleep, breathe. Uh, you can't get away from it. So when you're on camp for a while and you get off it, for me, I'm like, I'm done at that point. Like, I don't want to email my coach. I don't want to speak to any of the girls. Um, I just need a break from that environment, you know, and it works both ways when you're like that. So obviously since the England game now, I've been back there for a while a month maybe maybe five six weeks and now i'm speak starting to speak to the girls again and you know getting excited for june again and i'm sure within the next uh week or two i'll drop jane an email and be like okay um you know what's the schedule look like what does camp look like i play on the third and then we're in camp on the third so you know this is what it looks like um but it but but again, it's all it's also relative to the the timing of the schedule and and country. You know, it is so hard to juggle it both. That if you try and stay in it all the time, you will burn out. It is a cannot mentally be in it all the time. It's just not possible. If you did that, you would burn out a hundred percent. It would be impossible. How do you, because I assume there's there's two different cultures, how would you then, was, yeah. from a leadership point of view, how do you kind of, how do you adapt to both? Is, there, is, it, is one more relaxed than the other? Is more like, do you switch behaviours or do you do you impose your same personality on both or how do you manage that? No, I'm probably more quieter when I go away with Wales. Um, more, more kind of, not, I'm not going to say more focused, but more... Uh, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more focused because, you know, you literally get into camp, you have a game, the game is literally do or die, and every one of those games are do or die on the Welsh campaign. So, you know, I do think that you are a little bit more focused with what exactly you're doing it, when you're doing it, how you're doing it, and you spend more time to eat camp and your roles and your responsibility from that perspective, it is less relaxing 
um, and that's why it's so mentally draining. Um, you know, I can be on camp with Wales and I leave after like eight, nine days and I am just, I'm drained. Like I am so mentally drained, which is so much worse than being physically tired. Um, yet when you're in club, you know, you're with them all the time. You're with them, you know, sometimes morning and afternoon. So you see them outside of football. It's like a life. It's like 24-7 life. But it's a lot more relaxed because... You know, especially if you look at our situation right now, we're building something. It's a process. You understand it's a process. It's going to take a bit of time. You're going to try and do the right thing. And, you know, it is a little bit more relaxed. And so you don't get as mentally frazzled as you do when you're on international duty. And so that's where the two environments are so different. Um, and why you, yeah, you know, I am probably... My personality is a, le- a, a lot more subdued and a lot more quiet away with Wales than what it is with the rain. Um, because uh, Wales right now, it, everything is do or die and you have to be so focused and and so tuned into what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're doing it and how you're doing it with people around you that you only see for five, six days. What is it, the rain, you're with them all the time and you have more time to get those relationships and get those... You have 24 games to get it right. You get one game to get it right with Wales. That's it. So, you know, of course they're very different. Um, and you have to be able to to manage that, you know. You have to be able to go, okay, I'm going to go for Wales. I'm on camp for eight days right now and it's going to be so draining. But it'll, but I just have to get through it, you know, because at the end of the day, if we, if we get it right, the rewards are something that you could only dream of. Uh, culture is a word that, that's used a lot today, including myself. Um, how do, curious how professional teams um, get the balance right between friendship, those relationships, and then holding each other accountable? What's your experience or thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for me, I, the whole culture thing. Um, because you're, you're asking 23 players to try and get on the same wavelength, pretty much. Um, which is a very difficult thing to do. Um, but I think that the faster you can get a great culture is is going to determine how successful you can be and how successful you can't be. I think with, with professional athletes, you know, a good culture is truly just driven with um, responsibility and accountability and honesty, you know, because no one's going to be perfect. Everyone's going to make mistakes. And... You need to be able to rely on each other, through the good and the bad. And if you don't have those things, you're not going to be able to rely on each other and you're not going to be able to trust each other if you can't take responsibility, take accountability and just be honest. Not with, not with, not necessarily like be super honest with everybody, but more to the point of be honest with yourself with regards to how you're doing, what you're doing and, and are you being true every single day at training are you being 
the best that you can be at training every single day in order to be the best that you can be for the team on game. And I think that if you can, the faster you can mold those things into the overall group, then then off of that, you can have your personalities. And everyone needs their personalities. You have your quiet ones, you have your bold ones, you have your humour, you have your sarcasm. All that is fed off of team ethics or ethos. Then you, have a, then you have a good culture. But that's not an easy thing to do because... Being those things is not an easy thing to do. It's, it's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Whenever you're dealing, you mentioned about the pressure before um, and that kind of stress that goes along with international football especially. Dealing with pressure is now becoming a, a required skill set for a top player today. Yeah. But how, how much of it do you think is down to you know, not maybe not with Wales, but maybe and again going back to the US and maybe you swear how much of it's is it down to expectations to perform and win? Or how much of it is just noise from from parents and maybe social media? Yeah, I think the majority of it is from parents and social media, to be honest. Um I think now you will probably see 80% negativity as opposed to the other way around um, whether and that is from a social perspective and uh, you know parents perspective um, you know they they do want people to be absolutely flawless and and, and perfect and perfection is what they want but you know if football or of any sport at that point it's that easy that you could be perfect well it would be pretty boring because it would mean that the opposition or whatever you're doing or whatever the opposition's doing it's just not panning out that way you know that's that's not that's not real life but what we create on social media and obviously the pressure that you get from parents or some coaches um, they that's what they want they want perfection and they want you to be flawless and i just don't think that that's real it's not reality you know it's not it's not what professional sport is about you know yes you want to be good and for 80% or 85% of what you do has to be right, has to be good, has to, even 90%. But perfection is is not real. That's my view on it anyway, because if that's what you're asking and if that's what you're expecting, then you're not giving your kids a chance to improve because in order to improve you will make mistakes you know that's just life and then again earlier going back to what you're saying then about if you the whale setup if you almost consume that pressure every day 24 7 it, it burns you out it's too much so how do you personally how do you how do you balance or do you make a conscious effort to block uh, that noise out or is there times that you switch the phone off or you step away from social media? How do you balance that? A hundred percent. When 
when I know that there's like there's a half a half a chance of so much negativity. Um, I just don't. I just don't entertain it. Just like I don't entertain it when people would uh, speak extremely highly of you or very positive. Um, you know, my mother always says that you have to treat success and failure the same because you can't you can't listen too much to the success or what people say surrounding success just as much as you can't listen to it when it when it comes as failure because if you do that you you'll never be on your the right path you'll never be able to progress and develop and improve um, in the right way because you'll just be like a yo-yo emotionally um, which is unhelpful so yeah, you know, there are times where, you know, you know that you didn't play particularly well, didn't get the result that you want. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the best thing that, that I do then is just switch off, ignore everything um, and, and refocus on, on me and, and, and what I've got to do to put that behind me and then make sure that I get it right the next time you know and not not dwell on it i have such good people around it's so important as a professional athlete that you surround yourself with good people people that understand the ups and the downs and people that will support and help you through the ups and the downs and when it comes to pressure and expectation uh yeah I just, if it's going to be super negative, I don't listen. If it's going to be super positive, I don't listen. Nothing changes for me because I know what I've got to do and when I've got to do it. And I do everything I can to try and do that all the time. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate myself if I fail to do it one Sunday afternoon. It's like I'm not going to love myself if I do do it one Sunday. That's just not how it works because as much as you can do it one Sunday afternoon you can also not do it one Sunday afternoon so you just have to let it go let it let it all go whether it be very good or very bad because that's the only way you can be consistent and the way that you'll only last for a very long time at the highest level to last very long at the highest level just consistent you have to be consistent in what you do everyone always says no regrets about your journey and, and stuff like that but knowing what you know now what advice if you restarted it at 16 years of age and Jessica Fishlock was sitting in front of you what would you what would you tell her I would tell her to always keep learning always keep learning um, and I would tell her to understand the why behind everything even if coaches are telling her they have to do this and they have to do that she has to understand the why because in understanding the why she can understand the game whereas if she just says yes or no or yes even she's not fully understanding why she's doing what she's doing and so that's something that took me a long time to understand. I'd also say to her that 
just make sure she enjoys it, you know. Has to enjoy it because it's going to take up a very, very big amount of her entire life. And if she enjoy it, it's heartbreaking. So that would be my advice. Whenever you're, you've said in a previous interview that football is your job, you've done it for so long, you expect high standards and hate to lose, but it's a job. And I thought, that's brilliant. You framed that in a really positive way. But when a college player says it's a job, it's framed in a negative way. They say, and oh, not enjoying it anymore. Football's become a job. Soccer's become a job. Like the innocence is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that if, if, you know, to get to your level, it has to be a job? There's no hiding the fact that no matter how much you love the game, you have to dedicate and commit yourself to a level that is, there's routine and habit is built. 100%. You will not be able to be successful if you do it any other way. It's just not possible. It will take up your entire life. That's what it will do because if it doesn't take up your entire life, you will not make it to the highest level and stay there even. It is a job and the reason as to why that it, it is a job is because you one, you get paid to do it, two, kind of out of your control what you're doing just like a normal job and three like you just you are kind of controlled by somebody else like I'm controlled by the rain and whenever my coaches say something to me I'm like okay you're the boss just like if you're working in an office in a nine-to-five job you know the only difference is I guess is that you know, this is fun. This is a fun job. You know, this is a great job. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be negative. And by saying that this is your job, if you, it's easier if you can just kind of say that because you know then what the expectations are, what the standards are, what is expected of you. Um, and sometimes it's easier to just switch off that way, you know, like sometimes I can come home and just be like, okay, training's done, I've got to do this now, but then that's it, like, I'm done, I'm done being a footballer for the day, now I'm just going to be a human being, and I feel that if you can do that, then you definitely have a good chance of, of, of your career lasting a long time. You made W League history as the first player coach to win the W League yes. Championship. Congrats on that. Yes. Um, Thank the, you very much. <laughs> you said it was one of the most difficult things that you've been involved in, but one of the most rewarding. So I was wondering if, if that's a theme of coaching, where it's a case of appreciating it in hindsight rather than during it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... For me, yeah, 100%. I, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, I think. Um, I couldn't enjoy it because I was also coaching, which is extremely stressful. 
um, and I couldn't really take in what we what we had achieved at that point um, because I was still in a in a coaching mindset, not as a not in a player's mindset, so couldn't really enjoy or take in what we had done until like months later, like months later, which is something that I've never really experienced, to be honest with you. But when you're in it, when you're playing, I feel everything, you know. I don't feel that as a coach, but you're also a little bit away from it and you're a little bit then more relieved and you're just it's it's different you know it's different and so I was going through like both emotions at that time I couldn't really enjoy it as much as I would like to at the time is it wrong to assume that you're five years ten years you'll be on the sidelines Oh no, I hope so. That's the plan. <laughs> that is the plan. Unless I have a drastic, terrible experience and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, but that that is that is the plan. Um, but you know, it's not it's not easy. I'm going through my A license right now and it's a really, really long, difficult process. Um, so you know, hopefully yeah. Hopefully in five, ten years, that will be somewhere where I'm at and, um, and, enjoy, and enjoying it. Brilliant. Um, describe yourself as the coach that you want to be in that five or ten years. Look, I, I want to kind of bring back a lot of those values that we were talking about at the very beginning of this podcast. Um, you know, I want players to understand that if they put the team first then success for themselves will naturally come because in order for a team to be successful individuals have to be successful that's the only way it works right and then it's important that that the players put the team before themselves and I feel like that's definitely something that um, I will emphasize in, in whatever team that I'm in or I'm working for um, and I will be a coach that values my players as humans and as footballers because that's very much what I believe uh, I believe that athletes sometimes don't get treated like that there's so much expectation on them um, that people forget that they're just people they're normal people with normal problems as well as the added expectation of being a professional athlete so those, I think, are the two core values of mine that I've learned whilst playing that are, that are so important for a team to be successful. Um, and, I mean, my football philosophy will, will, you know, it'll be what I believe football should be, possession-based. Um, and I will allow my, my players to call themselves themselves. You know, I'll be very open to that. I'm just going to try and be a coach that uh, creates a great environment for their players, wants their players to be there rather than them feel like they have to be there. I want them to enjoy what they're doing because if they enjoy what they're doing, then they're going to give every bit of effort towards it. And I feel that before you even put your philosophy of how you want to play 
into any code. How the envi environment that you create your players to be in is far more important than whether you're a goalkeeper to chip a ball out to your right back. <laughs> That's just me. That's my opinion. Oh, I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. Um, always curious when I'm asking coaches about you know, potential, where you're going to be and etc etc a few years and stuff like that what kind of assistant coach would you be looking to work with who would you target what kind of personality would you target i would target somebody who is going to challenge my thought process i don't just want somebody that'll be like yes um, I want somebody that can see things a little bit differently because when we're going to be playing and I and we need to change something for the game to be won, I want my assistant to be able to come up to me with those those answers. You know, um, I feel that um, I feel that when you're a coach, one of the best things that you can do is probably find an assistant coach who's better than you <laughs> that's what um that's what me and joe montemaru coaches arsenal now that's what we have always said to each other that um we we need an assistant that is that is that could go and manage by themselves because at the end of the day you know, if I if you just need someone that's just going to agree with you all the time, then you know, just there's no point. There's no point in get having someone there unless you just want them to put the cones out. And that's not how I view an assistant. I view an assistant as somebody who could change something and win something for me, or oh, for us together. Um, so that's. That's who my assistant will be. Obviously, we'll be on the same wavelength with how we want to play, etc., etc. But I want my assistant to understand that their opinion is is hugely valid, and um, you know they have to be able to come up to me and, and challenge my thought process a little bit because they might see something that I don't see, and I want to see what they see if it means that we're going to be successful. All right, last three questions for you. The toughest to last. Best player you played with? Oh. You can't, you can't ask me that question. <laughs> you, at least, you at least throw two or three at me. Okay, okay good. Obviously, uh, Kimmy Little is up there. Mm. Marjan. Marjan is up there. Marjan is up there. Hope, Pino, Naho. I give you a list. I honestly give you a list. I, I, I am so overwhelmed with the amount of talent I have somehow been able to get myself to play with. I like. I don't get sometimes how I get to play with because they're just exceptional. Yeah, some of those names, to be fair, are top, top class. Even like Sausage, she was unbelievable. Like, just different, just crazy, just crazy good. All right, let me, I'll frame this second one then a little bit differently. Which, uh, which central midfielder? 
gave you the runaround? Who did you play against? That was, okay. Oh wow, this is. Oh, I couldn't get near them. Cheney. Really? Yeah. Cheney. Cheney for me was sensational. She was so smart in what she did. So smart in what she did. She was. How did she do it? She used her body really well when she had the ball, and she would always get in the space between you and the back line. And she would only ever need not even a yard, half a yard for her to get the ball out of your way to um, break your press, um, to keep her team ticking. That's what, that's what she did. And it was, never, it was never anything spectacular. She would never dribble around 10 players. She would never, you know, do any stepovers or anything. She just did the simple things at the highest level all the time. Brilliant. Brilliant. And the last one, my, my, my number one question for you, the Wales team picture, whose idea was it? <laughs> Genius. How, how good is it? It's brilliant. Genius. Like, it's brilliant. It wasn't really like an idea. It just kind of happened, and then we didn't lose for like over a year. So we were like, well, we can't change it because we haven't lost. And then we lost in the Cyprus Cups to Italy this season, this year. And then we went back and did one like normal photo. And I was like, no, this is terrible. I'm still not doing it. I don't care if we've lost. I was like... I'm not doing just a normal team photo ever again. It just doesn't feel right. And then we did it differently, and we drew against England. So I was like, no, it's fine. We're back. No problem. Is it, where, is there a meeting about it? Is it done in the locker room? Does this, no, 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 on, no. Off the cuff just? Yeah, just like off the cuff. I think there was one that we talked about, and, and Harrod James is – the leader when it comes to thinking about possible um, scenarios. I think we spoke about one, which was when our ops manager, her um, father passed away. So we talked about that one for him. But um, other than that, they are very just off the cuff, really. Um, maybe two or three will have a conversation with what they're doing, but it's never a team conversation. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I and love it. It's a crack up. <laughs> it's an absolute crack up. I love it. It's the brilliant. Best. Jessica, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for your time and insight here. It's been no, an absolute clinic. You. So we'll get you on again sometime. Maybe um, we'll talk coaching and, and your journey there as well. We'd love to hear about that. Of course. Anytime. Thank but you then. very much. Thanks so much to Jess for her time, her energy and her insight there. Let me read this off. Eredivisie, Dutch title, FA Cup runners-up, the W League in Australia, the NWSL Shield twice, NWSL 
championship runners-up, Champions League medal. Those are the team awards that she's won, the individual she's awards she's won. She's won Player of the Year in every country she's been. So all those awards, not once did she talk about winning those awards, what it felt like to win those awards, how those awards have impacted her. But she's a serial winner. Everywhere she's gone, she's won. She's been very, very successful. So I think we, again, do we misinterpret success? Do we misinterpret people at the top, top level and think that they're there because they are ultra competitive? Winning is everything when really, if you watch Jess play, she is ultra competitive. When you hear her talk, she is so passionate about the game. But does she perceive winning and success in a different way? Does she perceive success as trophies? Or does she perceive success as growth? Does she perceive success as overcoming obstacles and helping teammates and everyone going together? And I think there's a lot of value in coaches of almost reassessing that there and helping young players and educating young players on what success actually is. It's not just winning games. And I think that's also evident in listening to how she talks about the coach that had the biggest impact on her. It wasn't a coach that gave her this big speech. It wasn't a coach that put her in a certain position that she scored goals and won the, the big games. It was a coach that was patient with her. It was a coach that opened her to different facets of the game. It was a coach who saw something in her game that even she struggled to see. And I think that sometimes as coaches, we watch TV and we watch, again, we get a perception of winning as trophies and we get a perception of successful coaches as getting those trophies or shouting instructions from the sidelines. But really the work we do away from the field, those relationships, those challenges that we're helping players through, not just exposing them to, is really, really what's going to make a difference at the end of the day. So I thought that that was really powerful for me. And we always want to ask coaches to reassess or evaluate or self-analyze or just be aware in these podcasts that what the analysis is from, from people like Jess or someone from Aaron Hughes or Daniel Dicchio, people like that there, um, how they perceive success. There's, a, there's almost a consistent message every week that it's not about the trophies or it's not about the money or it's not about the glamorous lifestyle. There's something deeper that makes every one of these top players tick. And it's just the level of humility and the level of awareness that they have, which has allowed them to do it for so long and stay at the top for so long and make a great career. So I find that inspiring and, and I really, really enjoyed that message from, from Jess. So th again, thanks so much to her for that there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Would love to hear your thoughts on, on different areas. I know we've got different levels of coaches who listen to these. So, you know, what's your thoughts on her, her views on the youth side of the game? What can we do to kind of move our players away from thinking or parents away from thinking that it's results at all costs? And how can we get more into the development side? And even though I don't work at the youth side of the game, I am absolutely fascinated by how we can help those young players get through with a little bit more awareness and a bit more a bit more grasp of what it takes to become a top player and, and maybe enjoy it a little bit more, enjoy the process more than enjoying, you know, just getting that trophy at the end of the year. So we'd love to hear it. Uh, always social media is usually the hub for for the engagement. So at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram, 
Coach Cardine on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to give it a like, spread the word of the podcast. Always appreciate your support. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.